0: Hello everybody, this is the third sermon looking at the women in Jesus's line and today we are looking at Ruth, a story of joy and we're going to look particularly at Ruth chapter 1. Queen Bertha lived in the middle of the 6th century AD. Initially she was a Frankish princess, daughter of the King of Paris But when she came of age, a political marriage was arranged for her with pagan King Ethelbert, the King of Kent. Bertha agreed to the marriage on one condition. She must be allowed to practice her Christian faith. Ethelbert agreed to this, even building a private chapel for her use. But he had no interest in joining her in it for prayer. He hoped his gift would keep her quiet and ensure he did not have to listen to her Christian faith for himself. Bertha, however, was very devout. Every day she went to that chapel to pray for her husband, the king, every single day for 17 long years. Her loyalty to God and her marriage was expressed in the most practical of ways. Eventually, in 597 AD, her prayers were answered and something extraordinary happened. The Pope had come to hear of Bertha's devout faith and decided to send a group of missionary monks to England, one of whom was the famous Augustine. On their arrival, Ethelbert was immediately sceptical and suspicious, but Queen Bertha welcomed them warmly. In just a few short weeks, Ethelbert came to faith, and of course, Queen Bertha was delighted. But this was only just the beginning. By the Christmas of that year over 10,000 people in the south of England had been converted from paganism and baptised. In the years after that, Ethelbert and Bertha's children dispersed around the country building abbeys and spreading the Christian faith. It was the start of rapid church growth in the country. Bertha's devout prayer life and her loyalty to her God and her husband were very quickly recognised. Her little chapel was chosen to be the site of a great cathedral. It is the reason why Canterbury Cathedral, the home of Anglicanism, is where it is. You can still visit Bertha's prayer space today. It is the oldest English-speaking church in the world. A remarkable testimony to this loyal woman of faith. In the run up to Christmas we are looking at the five women who appear in Matthew's genealogy of Jesus. Each one of them is recorded there for a special reason. They teach us something important about who Jesus is and what he came to do. We've already looked at Tamar and her story of hope and Rahab and her story of peace Today, we're thinking about Ruth, a woman who, like Queen Bertha, knew what it was to be loyal to those she loved. A woman God used to turn a tragic situation into one that was bursting with joy. Each week of this series so far, we have commented on how unusual it is for the names of women to be found in a Jewish genealogy. But what makes these five women even more striking is that they all appear at a moment in Jewish history when the men were up to no good. It's as if God used these women to teach the men a lesson and to get his plans back on track. Ruth's story is no exception to this. The book that carries her name begins with this line, in the days when the judges ruled There was a famine in the land. Now, if you know your Bible, you would know that the days of the judges were dark and difficult days indeed. Israel lived in a constant cycle of famine and military defeat. With each disaster, a new judge arose to bring the nation through. But this constant repetition of tragedy was no coincidence, no freak act of chance. There was a very clear reason why Israel kept suffering as they did. They kept rebelling against God. Listen to God's words from Judges 2.20. The Lord was very angry with Israel because this nation had violated the covenant I ordained for their ancestors and has not listened to me. Quite simply, Israel's woes were caused by their own sin, repeated acts of sheer disloyalty. In the book of Ruth, we're then given a practical example of this bad behaviour. We meet a man named Elimelech, a man whose very name means, my God is king. Unfortunately, though, he does not live up to his name. When a famine begins in the land, he decides to stop trusting the sovereignty of God and instead takes matters into his own hands. He picks up his whole family and marches them out of God's promised land and takes them to live in the land of Moab, the great enemies of God's people. The book does not say too much about Elimelech's abandonment, but from what happens throughout the rest of the story, there's a very clear criticism of it. Israel are going to have to be taught again what loyalty to God looks like and things have got so bad in the land God is going to use a very unlikely source to teach them. He's going to use a foreigner indeed he will use a Moabite and that Moabite shock horror will be a woman her name will be Ruth And by the end of her story, we'll be told that she is of such noble character, she will have demonstrated such loyalty that she'll be deemed to be more worth to God's people than even seven sons. At the time, in such a patriarchal culture, that was a startling declaration. We do not have time to read the whole book of Ruth this morning so I'm going to have to summarise but what you really need to have in mind is that the book contains a great reversal of fortune. The beginning of the book which we read together is full of tragedy and death. Elimelech's wife Naomi who probably had no say at all in her husband's decision to go over to the enemy is sadly bereaved. Not just once, not just twice, but three times. First her husband dies, then one of her sons, quickly followed by the other. In almost no time at all, Naomi finds herself in a perilous situation. She is stranded in a foreign land. She is a widow with no male relatives to support her. And as neither of her sons, who were both married to Moabites, had had no children, there were no prospects for the future. What is more, as their mother in law, Naomi is left responsible for the two widows of her sons, Orpah and Ruth. This really is desperate. These women are later reduced to picking loose strands of corn from the edges of fields just to survive. Naomi is so penniless she decides that all she can do is to send her two daughter-in-laws away back to their own people because maybe then they might just be able to carve out a future for themselves whereas she will slink back to Israel to die a widow's death. Naomi's utterly forlorn state of mind is displayed for all to see at the end of chapter one where she changes her name from Naomi which means pleasant to Mara, which means bitter. Things really could not get any worse for Naomi and all her troubles began with the disloyalty of Israel which caused the famine and then the disloyalty of her husband when he quit the people of God. However fast forward to the very end of the book and the scene has changed completely. There really couldn't be a greater reversal Repeated death has been replaced by new birth. Desperate tragedy has broken into unalloyed joy. The book finishes with Ruth having married a very good Israelite man named Boaz. Ruth and Boaz then have a son named Obed, a first grandson for Naomi. And there we see Naomi proudly dandling little Obed on her knee while the local women surround her singing great songs of praise. It's a picture of joy and contentment, fulfilment and delight. But much like the Queen Bertha's story, as Naomi's prayers seem to be answered, God takes things one step further and widens the horizon. It turns out that little Obed will be the grandfather of great King David himself. Previously depressed and bitter Naomi is now connected to royalty. What is more, as Jesus is a descendant of King David, she's connected to the Messiah. What a great reversal of fortune that is. As you read the story in full, it really is quite special. So the book of Ruth is a story of a great reversal. Tragedy is turned to joy. The crucial question, of course, is what caused it. Immediately, we all want to reach for that great Sunday school answer. God, it was God who enabled the great reversal. And of course, yes, that is absolutely true. But that is not exactly how the book presents it. For it's a surprising fact about the Book of Ruth that God is barely mentioned at all within it. He's referred to a couple of times by the lead characters, but only in passing, and the narrator of the story never mentions God at all. He's almost conspicuous by his absence. There's no thunderbolt, no miraculous intervention, or at least that is how it seems. What we find in the story of Ruth is that God is working behind the scenes. Naomi thought God was punishing her, but in his providence, God was quietly working to restore her. And he would do it through her Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth. God takes the great loyalty of Ruth and uses it to work redemption. In Ruth chapter 1, there is this astonishing moment. Naomi is forlornly trudging back to Israel. She does not know what awaits her there, but she doesn't expect it to be good. People who jump ship are not normally treated very well. So en route, Naomi stops her daughter-in-law and tells them to return to their homeland of Moab. There's much emotion in this moment. All of them are weeping and Naomi gives them one final kiss goodbye. One of the girls, Orpah, does as Naomi asks. For this, we should not condemn her. It was by far the most sensible and reasonable thing to do. But Ruth makes a stand and declares something remarkable. Let us hear the words of verse 16 and 17 again. Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Wow. That is an extraordinary promise. It is the pledge of total lifelong commitment. It is unconditional and irrevocable. It is till death does them part. In this moment, Ruth is going way beyond the call of duty in her loyalty to Naomi. The sensible thing to do would have been to return to her own people with Orpah, but here she voluntarily makes the choice to sacrifice herself. Ruth turns towards frail and forlorn Naomi and makes her a commitment that Naomi would never be able to return. Ruth makes the choice to be faithful, kind, compassionate to her suffering mother-in-law. These verses really are the highlight of the whole book. Indeed, the rest of the book plays out from them. What we discover in the next two chapters is that Ruth meant every word she said. She acts out this promise in the most practical of ways. First, she travels with Naomi all the way back to her land of Israel. Remember, for Ruth, this was a foreign land, a land she'd never been to before, a land where Moabites were often treated with suspicion and contempt. On arrival there, Ruth volunteers to go out and get work for them both. She goes gleaning corn from the edges of the field in the heat of the day. This is backbreaking work, and initially Ruth would have had no one to look out for her or help her in her task. Then Ruth voluntarily agrees to marry Boaz. That may not sound much of a hardship, but Boaz was a lot older than Ruth. In the end they did find great love for one another but initially Ruth agreed to get married purely so she could secure Naomi's future. Again she sacrifices her potential happiness with a man her own age so she could look after her mother-in-law. Ruth's loyalty to Naomi is utterly extraordinary and it enables the strongest of relationships to form. A relationship that will see Naomi through her trials until joy emerges again on the other side. The Hebrew writing of Ruth's story is very clever. It describes Ruth's love for Naomi as hesed love. Hesed being that great Old Testament word used to describe God's love for his people. God's unending, faithful, compassionate love. God's forgiving, merciful, gracious love. God's kind, covenantal love. The writer works hard to show that even though God is barely mentioned, Ruth imitates him. And by doing so, Naomi gets to encounter God's great love for herself. Naomi receives from God through Ruth. Naomi experiences God's loyalty to her through Ruth's loyalty to her. It is this that causes the great reversal in fortunes. Ruth's loyalty is what enables joy to fill the scene. I hope by now we may be beginning to see what Ruth teaches us about Jesus just why it's so important and so beautiful that she is named in Matthew's genealogy. When Jesus came to earth as a baby, it was the supreme act of God's loyalty towards his people. Jesus came to enable a great reversal, death to new birth, bitterness to joy. And he did it by demonstrating God's chesed, covenantal love, in terms very similar to Ruth's promise he would sacrifice himself he would love us so much he would be with us always he would act with grace and mercy towards us human beings who will never be able to reciprocate his kindness Jesus was so loyal he came to earth and having grown up was prepared to go to the cross He died to himself purely to earn us a forgiveness we could never possibly deserve. For like Elimelech, we have all abandoned God and his people in the treachery of our sin. But as Ruth finishes with a new birth, so too Jesus promises this to us if we believe and trust in him truly today jesus wants to bring joy into our lives and into the world a joy enabled by the greatest loyalty imaginable ruth's contribution to our understanding of who jesus is and what he came to do is profound we should treasure her name and her story but how else might we respond today As I said earlier, God is hardly mentioned in the book of Ruth. Instead, he silently works through the seemingly mundane activities of her daily life. Caring for elders, harvesting, marrying, bearing children. God uses these things to forward his plans of redemption. As we think of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and the great undeserved loyalty that he has shown us, I wonder how God might use our lives if they were given in a response of worship and service. How might God use our mundane activities in our homes, in our community, in our social clubs and in our church? How might God use our loyalty towards him and his people? Through Queen Bertha he evangelised a nation. Through Ruth he paved the way for the messiah just what might he do through us? There is only one way to find out.